tried to hide you and steal you away death tried to keep you inside of the grave the enemy fought you he tried but he lost Stop. 
our God. There's nothing that can stop our God. There is nothing. Mover of mountains, breaker of chains, Jesus has triumphed over the grave. Sing hallelujah. that comes up in our life. No trials, no accusations. God can stand against you. No sickness, no doctor's reports. Nothing can stand against you, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are the mover of mountains. God, and right now we lift up to you any mountains that we might be going through. Just begin to lift them up to him. Cry out to the mountain mover. God, we lift them up and say, God, we can't do this on our own. We can't change these circumstances, but you can, God. We thank you, God, that you are the breaker of chains, chains of addiction, chains of sin, chains of depression, worry, anxiety, and guilt. Let's sing Mover of Mountains. Mover of Mountains. Breaker of chains, Jesus has triumphed over the grave. Sing hallelujah, the battle is won. Nothing can stand against the Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah, the battle is won. Nothing can stand against our God. Come, but fear will 
eyes to see. Guys, God, eyes to see your beauty, your majesty. God, I pray for all of us that we could see your face, that we could see past this world and see right into the kingdom of God, which is now but not yet. God, that we could see into the kingdom of God where we see our healing, fully see our salvation. God, I pray that we could see truly your beauty. And God, I pray that we would be able to take that and take you and share your love with those who don't know you, that their eyes also may be open and they could see your beauty. God, all the words things, all the arguments that we could think of to try to convince somebody of you are nothing but the revelation of your love and who you are to the lost and dying world is what will change. So God, help us to bring you in us to those who don't know you yet. Cause us first to see you in all your glory and then cause us to take you into the world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hallelujah. We have a, a quick video we're going to play, and then Jesse's going to come with the announcements after that. You're the man of the house. I want to come talk to you, Mono E. Mano. <laughs> See what he did there? You're a man. Just take a minute. I don't want to take away from that pagan golf tournament that you're probably watching in there. But it did hit me when I saw the trashy secular Easter decorations that you have outside your house that you probably don't go to church to worship our Lord and Savior except for Christmas and Easter, like 68.7% of the rest of the American population. Oh, you're my little man. For the neighbors, stay on track. <laughs> oh, oh, well, the reason why we're here is because we wanted to invite you to our Easter services at our church. Now, I've made the plan of salvation into these Easter eggs here, and each color represents something you've done wrong. What my dear wife is trying to say, when we leave on a Sunday morning to go to church, your car stays out in the driveway, which makes me know that you probably don't go to church unless you're holding a church service in there or something, but I don't think so. So how about you pack up your brood, you come with us to church service on Easter Celebration Sunday, huh? Okay, sure. I mean, my, my wife and I were just talking about where we would go this Easter, so sure, we'll give your, your church a shot. Houston, we have a problem. What's the matter? No one's ever said yes to us before. Oh, uh, what do we do? Well, we just back away slowly, all right? Okie dokie. Okay, don't look at him in the oh, eye. Oh, he could oh, take away your soul. Okay, okay all uh, right. We'll just leave the eggs in the mailbox. You sure will. Now, the big red one represents your sin. <laughs> it's the sin egg. All right. We hope to see you there. We'll save you a seat, okay? Really? No, that's just an intimidation tactic. <laughs> okay, toodles!
No. Ah, oh, there I Hi. Well, <laughs> we just want to encourage you. We have a, an amazing opportunity for you guys to invite people to church, um, especially on Easter. And that is coming up next Saturday, April 2nd. We're going to be meeting here at 9 a.m. And we have those door hangers that we created in addition to Easter invitations. And um, so we'll go out and we have designated spots that we're going to put door hangers on the people's doors. We're going to pray over their houses. And then we have another opportunity on April 9th to do it all over again, but with new houses. And so again, so April 2nd and April 9th, we'll meet here at 9 a.m. And then we'll go and we'll put invitations on people's doors. And hey, if people are there, take advantage. Pray for them. Ask them if they need help. Don't don't tell them about all the sin. I mean, like, you want to tell them about the sin, but don't give them a giant red egg of sin. <laughs> How not to witness. No. <laughs> no, but we definitely, we want to bring um, people into the family of God, and we want to tell the world about his love and his goodness and what he did for us. Amen? And speaking of Easter, we also are going to be doing things a little bit differently Easter morning. We're inviting you guys to come at 845 to have breakfast. <laughs> I'm definitely a breakfast fan. Um, and then for those of you that have not maybe signed up already, we do have specific breakfast needs. And so I'm going to put this on the little round table out there. And um, if you're willing to bring, there's juices or fruit and that kind of stuff that you can sign up for. Um, we encourage you guys to do that and then make sure that it's here. I would say what, by at least 8.30? Yeah, so if you have signed up for stuff, please make sure that it's here by 8.30 at the latest um, so that way we can have it organized and we can all fellowship and eat together. Um, and then the next announcement I have is that we are going to be having a leaders meeting um, after, just right after service, so about 15 minutes after. So if you're a leader, you know what to do. Um, <laughs> and I think that's it. So we're just going to receive our tithes and our offerings. And um, I apologize. I should have said that ahead of time so that you could prepare there's a couple different ways that you can give. You can text, you can go online, you can give here at the church, or you can mail it in. And we just want to be faithful to God and um, giving back what he's already given to us. Amen? So let's go ahead and pray for that now. Lord, you are so good, just as the song said. You are a good, good father, and we are so grateful for the many ways that you bless us. God, I pray that whatever we give today, God, would be given so that we could bring you glory ultimately, Lord. We want the world to know about what you did. God, as we're coming up again um, in celebration of, of your sacrifice for us, God, and then your, your victory over death, I pray that you would put it on our hearts and minds to, to share that with the world, the people that we come in contact with. Even if we're standing in line at the grocery store, Lord, help us to, to see people, God, not just an extra person, not just another visitor, or whatever that looks like for us, but God, that we would see them as your child, God, somebody that you created and that needs to know you. Lord, we love you, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I am so thankful for people like Jessie, though she's one of a kind. Um, but people who serve faithfully and uh, just really um, 
just just are always ready to serve and jumping in and looking for things to do. And so many of you, I'm thankful for for all of you who who serve in a ministry, lead a ministry. And I want to invite you that that there is always room to serve. Um, every once in a while, I think people think that you know the the, the places are filled, the worship team places are filled. And really, none of that is true. There's always room to serve. If you have a gift, uh, you know, see either your life group leader or one of the leaders or myself. We want to get you plugged in and serving in where your giftings are strong. If we had, you know, if from from whatever it is. So, but I want to thank all of you um, for serving. Yeah, this this week is my 10th anniversary as pastor of the church. And. You know, it's it's been an exciting. Thank you. It's good. It's been an exciting ten years. We've been here for twelve, and we, uh, but senior pastor. In fact, um, my actual anniversary is April first. So, so, so my introduction, I think, was, "Hey, you guys have a wonderful, great new pastor, April Fools." You, ha- <laughs> uh, but yeah. So that's the, I think that's this week, isn't it? And um, and so we we wouldn't be here. Um, in, in this position, in this building, uh, with everything, uh, without, without people who serve. So I want to thank you. Um, you know, even recently, um, we were able to retire our debt. Um, we had a, a $70,000 debt that we retired at the annual business meeting this year. Thanks to everyone who gives. Amen. So, amen. 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 So as, as we are on the road to the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, we're just three weeks away from Resurrection Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue in and then finish up the book of Mark. Um, interesting, the last six chapters of Mark take place in just one week. And there's 16 chapters in Mark. So 10 chapters are devoted to three years, and six chapters are devoted to one week. So for me, coming into this, um, this last couple weeks was a little, little tricky. Um, a number of events take place over the, in these last six chapters, um, starting at chapter 11. And we are going to talk about the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Um, and because you have to do that palms on Palm Sunday, though I, I really feel like I should have maybe done that a little earlier and spent the next week. So what we're going to do is we, uh, we're going to skip over the palms, uh, the triumphal entry in Mark chapter 11 today. And I want to talk about the things that happened um, right after the triumphal entry to give us a picture and some of the other things that Jesus was teaching during that time so that we uh, just have a better understanding, again, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. Uh, my encouragement and prayer for you is that you would um, be finding devotions, doing things at home to prepare your hearts for Resurrection Sunday. Uh, if you don't have the Version Bible app, I encourage you to get some that or something like it where you can find devotions that are for a week or two or three uh, leading up to Easter. There's a number of those in there. Find something to prepare our hearts because the resurrection of Jesus, uh, which is Mark chapter 16, is really the key um, to our Christianity. It's the, the, you know, the cornerstone the, and the capstone both of, of the scriptures of the gospel. 
and of our Christianity. Everything, everything in Christianity hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 um, says this in verse 14 and then 17 and 18. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Uh, That was in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Um, and the, what a powerful statement. If, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we're of all mo, uh, people most to be pitied. Without the resurrection of Jesus, you might as well go home. You know, people, uh, the world wants to make Christianity one of many religions. And, and in the past, it was, you know, one of many good religions that they bring hope and peace to you. Now we're entering into a time that people don't even think that of Christianity. Christianity is just becoming so negative on the world scene. But, but Christianity's always been so much more than that. It has to be. It has to be. Because if Jesus isn't risen, if there is no heaven, if there is no hell, if there is no resurrection, then what are we doing? You know, there are clubs that are probably more fun than this one. Because what we're doing is just a club, right? Without the resurrection of Jesus, it's just a great get-together. Well, there's a lot of those out there. And that's why it says we're most to be pitied because we're putting our hope into something that wouldn't be true. But we know that it is. It's not just a philosophy. Uh, there's a lot of good philosophies out there. Uh, Buddhism is, a, is really a very nice philosophy. There's a lot of wonderful teachings in Buddhism, but you know what Buddhism doesn't have? Eternal life. They just have these wonderful ways to live your life. You know, interesting is that, that the Buddha... Uh, actually taught a lot of the things that the Buddha taught were the same things that Jesus taught in loving one another and, and having peace and all that. Those are great things. Plus you get Chinese food. But it's not true. See, there are philosophies that have truth in them, but only Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the resurrection... Um, is is so important. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that um, over the next couple of weeks. We'll probably hit that a little bit on Good Friday as well, which we are having a Good Friday service um, at 6 o'clock on the Friday before Resurrection Sunday. Um, even talking about proofs. Did you know that, that there are so many proofs that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Everything we believe hangs on that Sunday. And so I'm, as you can see, I'm a little excited about, about Resurrection Sunday. I want to encourage all of you uh, to make sure you invite somebody, like the video said. Um, bring somebody with you, kicking and screaming. Uh, con them into coming because there's a good breakfast going to be there. Uh, whatever it is, let's, get, let's fill up the house. There's going to be um, an Easter story hunt with candy for the kids during service. So if you've got neighbors with kids, tell them it's going to be a great time for the kids. Uh, we're going to sugar them out and just freak the parents out the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> So this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the book of Mark. We're going to start in chapter 11. We're going to skip right over the triumphal entry. So we're going to pick it up at verse 12. And we're going to cover a couple of these headings. Now, some Bibles have headings, 
and some don't. If yours does, then you might have something like in verse 12, uh, Jesus curses the fig tree. In 15, Jesus cleanses the temple. In 20, the lessons from the withered fig tree. The authority of Jesus challenged down in 27. And then in, in verse 12, or chapter 12, it's the parable of the tenants. And so, you know, one of the problems with headings, one of the problems with verses, one of the problems with chapters, and you're going, what do you mean there's a problem? Man added those. They were not in the original scriptures. They're added to help us read and to know where things are at. Um, and so one of the problems when you put a verse or, or a subsection is that you kind of read it in a, as something separate from what was there before and something coming after. Um, but these, I think, are, are kind of connected. Um, and really, the, the whole Bible is connected, obviously. Um, so we'll get back to the triumphal entry in, in a couple of weeks. But this morning, we're going to pick up at verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. You know, this is an interesting passage because uh, Jesus is actually cursing a tree. Um, a tree that was made by God and obviously had not committed any sin. Some people say that the fig tree itself was not, I've, I've heard this preached, that the fig tree wasn't being obedient because it wasn't bearing figs. Um, some people say that the fig tree was supposed to be bearing fruit, and because it wasn't, Jesus cursed it, and that would tie into our disobedience, and then we'd preach a great message on, you need to be obedient or to God or you're going to get cursed. Um, the problem in those views is that Mark really makes us uh, obviously aware that there's a time of year happening, and he lets us know how trees work. It says, when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. Verse 13 says, for it was not the season for figs. In other words, the, the tree's got leaves, but it doesn't have any fruit on it yet. Um, it, it maybe even had some little tiny buds coming, uh, like, you know, we can see on the apple trees. And I don't have one, but have, have the apple trees started budding yet? Yeah. Some have. Okay, not Joe's. I, you know, Joe's got some great trees there, but there's no fruit on them yet. And what, what, what everyone who's got buds now on their tree is afraid of is tomorrow's snow, right? Because if, if we get that, that late spring cold snap, it'll kill the buds and we won't get any apples, right? But we look at the tree and it's, it's just got buds and, and a week ago it didn't have anything. It was just got some leaves maybe, right? And, and as, the, as the buds begin to go, the leaves will get fuller, but you still won't see any fruit, well, that's what was happening to the fig tree. It wasn't the time for figs. It was just the time for leaves. So is Jesus getting mad at the fig tree for doing what it was created to do? It's interesting. Obviously, there's something happening here, and, and a message for us is, is tied into a deeper uh, topic. And so we need to keep reading uh, into the next account in verse 15 um, to see... And, and some of this deeper meaning. So starting in verse 15, uh, they came to Jerusalem. 
And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is a powerful time. Now this is according to John chapter 2. This is the second time Jesus cleared the temple. Most scholars actually believe he did it twice. He did it towards the beginning of his ministry, and he does it again now. And he drives out the money changers and those buying and selling and exchanging money, selling doves. And so um, there is... A lot of lessons we learn from this time where Jesus is, is cleansing the temple. I want to get, note just a couple. One, Jesus was zealous. Jesus was zealous for the things of God. He, he comes in and, and I don't think he's a stark, raving, mad lunatic at this time. We, there's different pictures you get, but, but, but there's power happening. There's something going on. You know, I don't see him kind of going in and, and like, pushing over the table, going, get out, get out. I mean, he's, there is passion happening in him as he clears the temple. He is zealous for the things of God. Um, the scriptures teach us that the zeal for my house has consumed me. Jesus, talking about Jesus, the zeal for my house. We should be zealous for the things of God. We should be zealous for the things of God. Um, that, and, and really the things of God is, is everything. But, but I, I rate people much higher than the things. Like in, in, in the past, uh, people reverenced buildings. And still in some places and some people really reverence buildings. Uh, it's almost natural when you walk into an older church or a, uh, maybe a Catholic church, some of these churches, that you kind of go, shh. And you have this awe and reverence of the of the building, and you know there's that's wonderful. But we got to make sure: are we reverencing a building or are we reverencing something of God? And the sanctuary, as we're going to find out a little bit, really should represent the presence of God, uh, not just this thing that that's holy. When I was a youth pastor uh, years ago, I did survive. Um, I had my kids uh, one day. And boy, I, I love those kids. They were, they were great. And they were some rough kids. They, they came from some rough backgrounds. And they would cuss a lot. And, but they had been growing in their faith a little bit. And one of them cussed uh, in, in, in the youth meeting. You know, they were, we were just kind of hanging out. And then, and then one of the other, the sisters said, hey, don't cuss in church. Right? And we go, well, that seems like a, a duh. Don't cuss in church. So I challenged him a little bit. I said, yeah, that's right. Don't cuss at church. As soon as you leave, start cussing up a storm. That's fine. Just don't do it here. And they all went. Kind of like some of you. Because you realize that there are things that we don't do in church that we do do outside. And, and I, I'm just going to let the, the conviction sit a little bit. If that's you, you might go, Lord, are you telling me something? Let's move on from that. <laughs> God 
Jesus had zeal for the things that God instituted. And the things of God that were being misused, he was really upset about. Um, there's a, another deeper sentiment happening here in the act of Jesus cleansing the temple. Um, it says, yes, as Jesus is walking through, he sees that there are people who are, are profiting. They're profiting from the worship at the temple. Um, there's people exploiting others. Uh, they're exploiting God's system for worship and sacrifice going on here. And in order to understand this section, we need to understand the temple a little bit more. So the, the temple, this temple, of course, was built by Herod. It was one of his great accomplishments. You know, again, I've said this before, but I, I want this to really sink in for you as, as you're walking in your faith. The Bible for us in North America can often be stories. They can be stories. At, in, in Israel, this is history. Let that sink in. These aren't stories. This is somebody's history. There is, and I know we believe that, but do we believe it? Herod's temple is real. There's no question about it. But because we're so far removed, sometimes we can just read these as, as little stories. Don't miss that this is real. So Herod built this temple, and, and it was one of the greatest accomplishments. Um, he, he did a number of things. He was a builder. So he restored that, that temple, and, and he made it bigger and more grand um, you know, than it had been, for sure. Originally, the first temple was built by Solomon. And so, um, which was David's son. David, David could have and would have built the temple himself because he was loved by God, but he had shed so much blood, the scriptures teach us, so he couldn't build the temple, and he had to let his son Solomon do it. And boy, it was full of, it was gold, and it was just amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, but before the temple was built, the Israelites worshipped and sacrificed in the tabernacle. Um, in the book of Exodus, which if you're reading through the Bible in, in a year, uh, you've already gone through. And, and some of these first, you know, some of the Torah, it gets really slow in the reading. Um, but the, in the Exodus, it gives precise directions for the building of the tabernacle. Um, how to make everything from the altar to the little clasps that go on the curtains. Everything. It, it, it held how much weight they were supposed to be, how much gold or bronze or, or the different metal, uh, metal, the precious metals that went into things. It teaches us that skilled laborers created everything in the tabernacle. And there's a lot of correlations in that and in in, in worship because they were preparing the place of, of worship. The scriptures go on in detail about the laws for the offerings of the tabernacle. Um, they go off the laws of burnt offerings and grain offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings. Uh, it goes into great detail about guilt offerings and the priests and the, and the clothing that the priest would wear. And do you remember reading that in Exodus? Like, wow, this is like, okay, sometimes there's, I get weird part. I'm weird, by the way, if you're visiting, I'm weird. Welcome to the weird pastor. Um, but, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I want to try to figure this stuff out. And, you know, I've thought about trying to draw it out. People have done that who are much better than me. But, you know, like it, it goes into detail. And, and turbans, they even had turbans, which we don't, we don't really t think turbans belong in Christianity or Judaism. We kind of think that's others. But we had turbans, or they had turbans then. Anyways, how to even consecrate a priest. All that is, is in Exodus. Um, 
the tabernacle they made was made up of different areas. There was the outer court and the inner court. There was the, the most holy place, the holy of holies. There was the mercy seat, um, which represented the exact presence of God. The high priest could enter into that holy of holies just once a year. The sacrifices were made on the altar and, and people were always bringing, and they, they talked about how to make each sacrifice and who would get the, the portions that were sacrificed and all that. Um, an atonement would be made as the priest would come in. And um, often it was said that the, the tent of meeting or tabernacle was the place where God dwells. And, and we, we've carried that on into modern-day Christianity, especially a, a few years back. We don't, the terminology's changed a lot for a lot of Christians, um, but what did the church used to be called? Sanctuary, what's another term? Tabernacle, have anyone heard of this? God's house? Remember that, God's house? Make it sound like he lives here. Yeah, huh? Bethel, yeah, the house of God. You know, interesting that when we leave, I mean, God is omnipresent, but when we leave, God leaves. Because his presence, his dwelling, is in us. So, so, so you know, but, but so people kind of did the same thing. The, the tabernacle was God's dwelling place. Um, now, it did represent his presence, but in 1 Kings 8, 27, let me flip over there. Keep your finger in Mark if you're flipping with me. I did put it down here. It says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I built. That's what Solomon said. He builds this grand, this grand temple. I mean, just amazing. I, you know, it, it got ransacked and they stole all the, the material and all the gold and everything. Um, but it was, it was amazing. And he says, Indeed, will God dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house I built. He had the understanding that God is way bigger than that. So, so he didn't dwell in the tabernacle and tent. Really what it was, it was to represent his presence. It also taught us some things we're not going to get into in, in depth right now. But it, it taught us that, that man could not approach the presence of God because of their sin. And really what it, what it kind, of, kind of set up for us is like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Now, we have to be careful because we come to Christ this way and many of us go, I'm not good enough. And, you know, let me tell you, let me set you straight. You're right. You're not good enough. But when Jesus comes, see, part of the cleansing of the temple is really powerful. He's changing everything, and we've, I, I, we've missed this a little bit. When he's clearing out the temple, it's not only because people are doing what they're doing. There's, there's going to be a little bit deeper, deeper uh, meaning here in just a minute when we get there. Um, so the temple really is, is kind of ambiguous if you think about it because it's not his presence, but it represents his presence. And there's, there's sacrifices, but can you, can you go, if you're, 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 you, know, you can't even approach and go into the, uh, in the Old Testament, there was times it says, if you've got a flat nose, can't, can't approach the temple. If, if you, excuse me, if, you've, if you have mutilated testicles, you're out. 
Right? There's all these little little rules about you can't you can't approach the tabernacle. You can't go up. And so, is are, is God trying to keep us away from Him? No, He's showing us something. So it's a little it's a little ambiguous. That's why the Old Testament is always pointing to Jesus, always pointing to the New Testament. He's always pointing to what Jesus was going to come to do. Um, so although God has promised to bless Israel through the temple, if Israel begins to take it for granted to use the temple and the promises attached to it as an excuse for immoral and unjust behavior, then the temple itself could and would be judged. That's really what the, the early chapters of Jeremiah are about. In, in, in Jeremiah, it talks about the judgment of God because the people were, were misusing the things of God. Um, in fact, including the quotation that God's house has become a den of thieves, which is in Jeremiah. One of the purposes found in the temple is found in, in Isaiah. And I, I, and I apologize, I didn't, I didn't write the scripture reference and I don't have this one memorized, I should. The, the temple would be known as a, a house of prayer. And Jesus quotes that. Isn't it written that, that my house should be known as a house of prayer instead it's become a, a den of robbers? It's, it's one, of the, one of the only places it talks about that, but that, that the, the temple would become a house of prayer for all nations. I'll tell you, that is so deep, so much bigger than you think. Because remember, Israel was a nation and no other nations were allowed. If you came in, you had to convert. You, you, you couldn't worship God and be part of that, you had to change and become part of the nation of Israel. And he said, no, it's going to be a, a house of prayer for all nations. That's a prophecy looking forward to Jesus. Because when Jesus came, he broke down the dividing wall that separates man from God. And he also first went to the Jews, and then he said, now we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The temple should be this place where a beautiful incense rises from the throne of God or rises to the throne of God um, by people in the right spirit with the right heart are crying out to God. The temple is a place that should have represented the presence of God, the loving God. Instead, even in Jeremiah's day and, and again in the times of Jesus, the temple became a place where the leaders... We're using the temple for personal gain. Part of the prescribed manners and methods of sacrifice required the sacrifices were without blemish. So when people would arrive at the temple, um, they would have their animals, and, and those in charge of the sacrifices could say, this animal's not acceptable, there's a blemish. As people would come from far distances bringing their lambs or, or, their, different, or their doves or whatever, um, Sometimes the animals would get attacked on the road or sometimes they'd just get injured. Well, if that happened, now, now your sacrifice wasn't good anymore. And so these people at the temple said, listen, we're going to solve that. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have animals here for you at a little bit of a profit. And these are, these are acceptable to God. They needed sacrifices that the leaders, that the priests said were worthy also um there was a, a combination of of money there was roman money there was temple money there was jewish money but only temple currency could be used in the temple so when you came you had to exchange 
your money because you couldn't give your, your shekel or your half shekel for your, your sacrifice. It had to be temple money. That, that's a really good racket as well. Um, if you've ever, ever traveled out of the country, you're familiar with how money exchange goes. It's important when you go, when you're traveling, to find a good exchange rate so you don't lose too much money. In, in, in my trips um, to other nations, I always you know, like to know how much things cost. Um, and then I try to convert it back to dollars to see what, what, what I'm paying. And I always look for a good a place with a good exchange rate. One of the times I was in, in the airport, um, I think it was in Mexico, I was looking at the exchange rate. And, and if, have you ever been out of the country and seen how to exchange money? Notice that there's two, there's two exchange rates. One when you're buying the foreign money. And then another one when you're selling back their money to them. And when you buy the money, their money, it's always a little bit more than when you sell it back to them. And I thought, oh my gosh, I could stand here, never leave the airport, take $100, exchange it into pesos, then take what they give me, buy back American dollars, and I'd probably only get like 97. And then I could take that 97, give it back to them, buy pesos again, and I'd only get 94 the next time. And I could sit there and exchange money all day and just go broke. Eventually, I'd, I'd be broke, right? Yeah. Because they're trying to make a little bit of money. Well, one of the problems is that they were not making a little bit of money. They were making a lot of money. So this is kind of what's happening um, in the temple. And so Jesus comes in. Jesus comes in and he cleanses the temple. He flips over the money changers. He drives people out. Now, here's some things that we need to, to pay attention to. Who's Jesus? We know he's God, but did they? What's going on? One person goes into the temple and he starts cleaning everything up. Why didn't somebody stop him? The religious leaders didn't believe he was God. and They didn't believe he was a prophet. Uh, in just a little bit, um, Jesus has a great conversation um, about um, whether, you know, who should you pay and, and, and um, you know, the, Jesus asked the question, and he says, well, by what authority? They said, what authority do you do this? After he did all this, it was the next day. And he goes, I'll, I'll tell you by what authority I do this if you answer, answer me a question. John's baptism, was it from man or from God? And they wouldn't answer because of fear. That ties right back into this. Jesus' authority came from God. John announced that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All these are connecting, and Jesus goes in there, but not everyone believes this, but deep in their hearts, they knew somehow that he had authority to do this because they listened. So he's flipping over the money changers' tables. He's, um, he's getting rid of those that, that, buy and, uh, that sell the doves, it said, which you know, scholars say because it, it mentions doves but doesn't mention other things, it might have been in one of the poorer sections of the temple. Um, because it wasn't where, you know, because if you weren't wealthy enough to have a lamb, you could give doves. And so it might have even been in one of the poor sections. There's multiple sections. And so this all happens, and then he says he wouldn't let anyone come in or cross. One of the things that Jesus did here, don't miss this, is he stopped 
the temple. He stopped worship. Jesus puts a halt on worship at the temple by doing this. But he's not saying that we should stop worshiping him. What this little act, one of the things that this little act is saying is, this is not the way to worship anymore. See, we become the temple. And we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus is about to become the sacrifice for our sins. We won't need lambs any longer. There's a, there's a little significance in here. It's really, really exciting that he's, he's saying, listen, you don't even know what I'm doing yet, but I'm just showing you that I'm coming in here in authority and I'm stopping what, what you've made worship become. And, I'm, and, and over this next week, you know, for us, the next few weeks, I'm going to teach you what it's, what it's about. You're, you're going to understand that, that you can't bring sacrifices, that sacrifices don't work. That's why they had to do it every year. They, they, it was really just a carrying over of the sins from the year before. It was never permanent. But Jesus, when he comes, he does a one sacrifice once and for all. And he also changed the way the tabernacle worked, changed the way the temple worked, on the cross, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, when he died, that the temple veil was rent in two from top to bottom, separating the, the common from the most holy place to, to be actually in the presence of God. Jesus, what he does in the resurrection is so incredibly powerful, we're beginning to just to see all this happen right in front of us. And it's starting to happen right here at the temple. And, and as he says my house uh, shall be called a house of prayer for all nations you made it a den of robbers in the same account in Matthew um, I don't think I find it right right now yet in the same account in Matthew I'm not I'm not going to spend any time um, it says that afterwards the blind and the lame came into the temple and Jesus healed them Why weren't they in there? And this is debated by scholars. Some scholars said because there was these rules that had been enacted that defiled people and people with flat noses and people with problems couldn't approach, that they might not have been in there because of that, and that Jesus invite, he brings them in. I'm not sure if that's accurate. I, I've read some other Jewish history, and, and most of the other you know, actual Jewish historians say that, that that's not, not the case. But... But what, what's happening is that they weren't in there, and now they are. So where were they at? Think, think back to the scriptures you've read about the poor, the blind, the lame. They were begging out front of the temple, right? So they were asking for money on the way in. And in the temple, they are robbing people of money instead of, serving people and Jesus says this is going to stop no more and he brings the blind and the lame he brings us in he begins to heal us all of those who who were needing a touch from God he clears out this religiosity 
And, and, and he brings in those who need a touch and he says he healed them all. And I believe that lines right up to that my house shall be called a house of prayer. The temple, the presence of God, God himself is caring about me, about you, our brokenness. He wants to heal. So one of the things in this, this, this time in the cleansing of the temple and as we're approaching a Resurrection Sunday, I want us to really begin to tap into Jesus loves you so much that he's willing to create havoc in the religious systems to make a way for you and me to come and get the healing that we need. No more stand outside and beg from people. No more you have access to me and I care about every need. That brings me so much great hope. See, so many people approach Jesus and approach Christianity as I'm not good enough, I've got to stay away from him. And the entire time he's welcoming people to him. Those that, that couldn't have access to uh, normal religious things, women, as I've said, women had less value than men in this time. Women couldn't testify in court. Children had less value than men. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And who are some of his greatest disciples? The women. Who, did he, who is he going to reveal himself to? Spoiler alert, when he rises from the dead. In case you didn't know, Jesus will rise from the dead. And the people he reveals himself to are women. Why on earth would he do that? It makes no Jewish sense. You'd want somebody who could be believed. Somebody who's... You know, not a shepherd, not a woman. Think how he comes to the earth, the shepherds. He's raises from the dead. It's women. All these people, they couldn't testify. Why wouldn't he go to the religious leaders? He's saying, nobody is left out. There is nobody who's less. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and you'll find rest to your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. That, that's what Jesus says to us. And this, this, this cleansing is his invitation for us to come into the temple, to come into the presence of God, not out of religion, not, not, not being pushed back because you don't measure up, saying, come freely, drink from the fountain. and drink it should give us hope you know I, I, I've been saved a long time I've been, I've been in ministry a long time I, people come to me and one of the one of the most common things that I hear from believers it breaks my heart more than so many other things is I'm just not good enough I just, just, I'm just bad. Hey, you know, why, you know, why aren't you serving? I'm not good enough. Not good enough. What a lie. What a lie from the enemy. There, there's a truth. You'll never be good enough. We'll never be good enough on our own. He makes us good 
You know, years ago, um, I was like 18 years old, and I was on an outreach in New York City, um, and it was, it was, boy, man, it was, it was crazy. I mean, there was a riot and everything. It was just wild. And we went out every day. It was called an outreach called Jesus Loves You New York, and we would, we were there for seven or ten days. And every day we'd hit different parts of the city, and we were in, you know, Flatbush, and we were in, uh, we were in Harlem. I really fit in Harlem really well. Um, you know, we we're Brooklyn. We we're in, in Wall, was Wall Street. I performed some dramas right, right at Wall Street and Forty Second Street and Times Square, the whole thing. And one of the days we, we were out there. Well, there was a guy on the who came to be part of the outreach and lead worship. Um, he was, you know. You know, a guy that some of you might know from from Christianity. He played keyboard. His name was Chuck Gerard. Now, any of you coming out of Jesus movement, watch Chuck Gerard. He was like really a, a, a big deal in the '70s, and he's a, a great worship leader and um, part of the band Love Song for the Connection. Um, and so we're out there, and I'd heard a little bit about him, and I'm like, wow, this is you know, he's kind of a he's kind of a, a Christian star. This is probably 1988, so. And we get out to do worship, and um, and I'm I'm one of the guitar players, and I'm not very good, uh, you know, at that point, and um, and so I'm looking at him. He's got his his keyboard and his setup, and and we're going to lead some worship, and so I'm looking at the leader. I mean, you know, it's like you know when when someone like that shows up, they're automatically the leader. We don't vote on it, right? And so I'm looking at him, and he looks at me, and he says, "You lead us. I'll follow you." So, so I have to say, and I don't know if Chuck, you know, because Chuck and I, have, you know, we, we know each other now, and, and I don't know, I, he would probably never listen to this, but if he could stumble upon it, you know, I'm like, wow, I, I'm like, I led Chuck Gerard in worship. Like, he was part of my band, you know, and, and uh, I wasn't worthy, and I wasn't good enough. I mean, I, I really wasn't good enough. You know, when people were just kind of learning guitar? I wasn't good enough. In that moment, bear with me, the master, I said, no, you're good enough. You lead. He gave me permission. See, God gives that to you and to me. He says, you know, if you're talking about your skill and everything, you're right. Absolutely. You are not good enough. He says, that's not why, that's not why you're here. That's not what I care about. Because I've accepted you. If you have kids, nephews, nieces, grandchildren, neighbors with kids, then this is, this is, this is for you. That's all of us. Little kid, and he was in here a little while ago, little Tobias. Maybe Tobias or Tegan, one of these little kids, these little cherubs running around, come up to you and they bring a paper plate with a drawing that you can't figure out what it is, with some you know, little tentacles sticking out that they glued on there, you know. And they, this is for you. You go, oh, what is it? It's you. <laughs> <laughs> you've, all, you, I, you've gotten that, right? right? And what does a good, loving father do? That sucks. I don't want that. 
that's not good enough. Go do it again and bring it back to me when it's proper. Now, you've seen movies where that was a response of a, of a, of a parent, right? They were, the, they were the bad dad. Like you want to reach into the movie screen and choke them to death and hit them around and say, what are you doing? Who would ever say that to a little kid? Here's the problem. You do when you say it about yourself. When you say, what I'm bringing to you isn't good enough, wait until it's good, you are doing that to one of God's children. Now, if you've got more than one child and one of the little kids brought that and you got a bigger kid and the bigger kid's likely to look over and say, well, that's not very good. And what do you do? Stop it. I love this. If we can muster that kind of a sentiment, how much more does God, God give us? We can't be nicer than God. We can't be more loving than God. We can't care more. He loves you. He cleared the temple, stops worship and says, you're doing it wrong. Those that are hurting, come in to my presence. That's the hope of the cleansing of the temple. Don't miss it. This whole Passion Week that, that we're now in the Passion Week, but not by time, but, but in the scriptures of the week, he, there is so many times, and, and John is, is a great place. We are in the book of Mark, but read John um, when, when Jesus takes his disciples out by the, by the vines and the vineyard, and, and read that. Make sure you read that before Easter and see the heart of the Father toward us and say, he did this all for me. Cleanse the temple for me. He's going he's gonna to die for me. And he's going to make a way so that even in my badness, I can approach the throne of grace. And he does something in that loving transaction that we're going to hear more and more about. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And it says that he chooses to remember your sin no more. I remember once when I was praying, you know, many years ago, 24, maybe 30 years ago, just having this time of prayer. And, and I was struggling with a sin. And I went to, I was praying and I said, God, I'm so sorry I did it again. I did it again. And I, 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 I heard the Lord's voice in my heart and my mind. And it was, it was almost that audible thing. But it, and it wasn't just a few words that says, did what again? And I realized. He chooses to remember my sin no more. I didn't do it again. I just did it. So he's not holding it against us. The past is forgiven. Our, our future is secure. It makes sense. It's open. As we approach the Resurrection Sunday, know that he did it for us. Everything happening is for us. Amen. Let's close in prayer. If anyone wants one specific prayer after this, just come forward right after the prayer time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures that you've showed us this morning. We thank you that Jesus had zeal for the house of God. That it should be a house of, of prayer, a house of worship, a house that all people, all nations are welcome into. And that by stopping the religious system of the moment and and the ways that we had learned to do things in worship. And you said, no, this is changing. 
Come, even as we sang today, come all you weary, come all you broken. God, we thank you that Jesus made that invitation and that he was good enough, holy enough to be able to pay the price for my sin, the lamb without blemish, spotless. He was willing to die for my sin and for the sin of every person in here who would come and say, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, that you are God, and I'm going to follow you. That all of our sins are forgiven, for God so loved the world. As we approach Resurrection Sunday, Lord, Help us to have great times of prayer and worship and, and get to know the living Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If anyone wants prayer, just come forward. Prayer people, come forward and pray for anyone who show, comes to the altar. Bless you guys. See you next Saturday at 9 for those who come. <laughs>